Conversate Trans is an intergenerational podcast series exploring trans culture. The podcast, developed by the Sterlings Collective with funding from Create in collaboration with Tenny, with continued participation of the trans community, explores invisible histories and culture through intergenerational dialogue and archival materials. Having worked closely with members of the trans community over the last two years, the collective recognized the need for intergenerational dialogue and community care for trans people, and this podcast aims to be one part of this. Hi, I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jules. And this is Conversations. And this week we're speaking with Noah Halpin, who is the founder of This Is Me and Just Like a Person. So, oh God. And he, what have you brought? Would you like to tell us what you brought with you today, Noah? So, what I brought with me today is something that means an awful lot to me. It's a piece of art, um, it's a wooden sculpture that I asked a very close friend of mine to do. Um, He is a queer man who has a craft company. Um, And he, after I took my first ever tea shot and my uh, testosterone injection, I kept the needle and syringe and the vial and I gave it to him and I said, keep that and do something artistic with it. I said, it doesn't have to be now it doesn't have to be tomorrow it can be whenever something pops into your head that you think would be nice or good and what he came up with and it was exactly a year from when i first gave it to him he gave it back to me and he had somehow put the wood or the the needle and the syringe and the vial into this piece of beautiful um varnished wood and made a love heart with trans flag and put the date that I took my first shot on on that heart so um it's something that sits in my living room right in front of me in the middle of my television stand and um yeah it kind of it's very special to me it makes me feel like you know something that I worked really really hard for and always wanted and uh it kind of reminds me of that all the time wait what's your friend's name she's like his name is Gary. Right. Well, it looks lovely. I know people can't see it, but Alexandra will have like an artistic interpretation, and I'm sure Noah can like show it himself if he would like. But it's like beautiful. That's really cute, though. I really love that. Did you like do your third shot yourself, or did you have like a friend do it? My first ever shot I did by myself. Um, nobody, nobody oh would teach me. Um, so like, you know, I was waiting like most and or all of us wait for so many years to to access HRT and, and you know, I waited so many years, I fought for quite a while and you know, I finally got this prescription in my hand. But when I said, Okay, so how do I do this? Who's gonna give it to me? You know, I was told, Oh, we just prescribe, we don't administer. So I was there going Okay, so this thing that I've been waiting for for so many years, um, I had it in my hand. I had like, I call it the golden serum. So it's a little bit yellow, <laughs> the liquid is. And I was like, I had this in this golden serum in my hand, but I can't get it into my body, you know? And I went to my GP who said, oh, I've never done that before. So I, I don't really know. And then I went to a public health nurse who said the same. And it got to the point where I had it for like nearly two weeks in my hand. And I was like, I just need to do this. And the only thing I could do was look up on YouTube the best way of of doing it. Um, 
so I, I had to do it in my bedroom by myself and you know shaky hands and all that kind of stuff but you know afterwards I felt great I was like oh my god I can do this and I didn't mess it up the first time I messed it up the second time albeit but not the first <laughs> I also recently took my first like I, I've had um so I think I've had three four injections of uh or testosterone blockers but um I had a nurse do it but getting to like my doctor is so awkward for me and especially with COVID and everything so the last time I got it I said I just do it myself and I, I almost fainted so <laughs> oh my god I totally understand that I like the first few times I did it you get a bit lightheaded beforehand or even whilst you're trying to do it and afterwards yeah. I don't know what it is about needles because like I don't feel any emotions but then I just suddenly get really lightheaded and thirsty and then like I start to like faint well I don't I start to faint but like have you ever fainted (laughs) I've never (laughs) fainted from needle um oh that's a lie that's a complete lie I I fainted having a tattoo done one time even though I've had multiple tattoos done I don't know what it was about this one but I Mm -hmm. That happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. Like I've gotten so many because I used to have um I, I used to have like really bad acne and like it was really bad. I saw scars and all. But um I was getting this needle, I think, for it. Um I'm trying to remember it was so long ago. But um oh no, no, sorry, it wasn't a needle. It was um the medication I was taking would destroy my kidneys. So uh but like tanks first puberty. Oh. For that, like on top of everything else, terrible acne. <laughs> so they had to take my blood every few months to check that one. They weren't like my kidneys aren't disintegrating. So um, uh, I used to get like needles all the time, and I was grand. But then, like suddenly, I start getting needles for like HRT, and now I'm fainting. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe this is just what happens when you get older. Yeah, isn't it crazy how like things you're so used to, or you know can the odd time just out of nowhere make you feel unwell like I similar to yourself like I have to get I'm on prep which is a HIV preventative drug and if you're on prep you need to get your bloods done every three months but then additionally on HRT having to get your bloods done every four or five months so like I'm getting bloods done all the time and then doing my T injection every two weeks as well so I'm like well used to needles like they're in like I'm always having to have needles but even my last one my last bloods i was getting done i don't know if it was the way they were done or something but i was like jesus christ like i was like oh stop stop and and i'm i'm never afraid of them and they never really hurt me so isn't it, it it's kind of mental how like things can that you're so used to or that you never normally have an issue with can all of a sudden just be an issue yeah i i i'm trying cuz I, I i i get a bit funny around blood Right. Like I get lightheaded, so I don't know if it's like something similar. Well, I've heard a lot of trans people talk about this, and I think it's absolutely true because I think it's happening to me is that people can go years self administering their shots with no problems, no issue. And then all of a sudden, it be, for a lot of people, it, out of nowhere, it becomes this ordeal. And that's kind of what's, you know, been happening to me lately. And I'm hoping I snap out of it a bit because I've gone you know, a couple of years self-administering and not having any issues, what's it, you know, even being excited to do it. And now it's gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, it's tea shot day today. I don't you know what I'll delay it a day. I'm not in the mood right now. Or, you know, and I've heard a lot of trans people have that experience. So I wonder if there is something like, 
injection fatigue or something. I, I definitely say part is just like kind of just the, the frustration of like, why can't this just be like, like, why do I, why can't I just insist kind of thing, you know? Yeah, well, I think about that sometimes, but then I remember something that I'd say a lot of people listening would know of Eva Martin. I remember a few years ago, she she was being interviewed, I think, for a newspaper, and they asked her if you could take a magic pill now and all of a sudden just be a cis person with you. And I remember Eva saying that, no, she wouldn't because she'd worked too damn hard to be where she was today. And I've never forgotten that. So, you know, I used to think, God, yeah. I wish I was just born cis, but now I'm like, actually, no, I've worked damn fucking hard for who I am right now. No, like, I love being trans. Well, I love being part of the trans community. And, like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I was just talking to someone about the experience I had before I came out. And, how isolated I guess I felt and then I feel like every week now I come up with something sappy about these guys but just how the Sterlings and everyone here helped me so much yeah you know just just in every aspect of my life and uh, I don't it's not that I would rather be born cis because I feel like being trans is a part of my identity but it's more like I would rather just not have to put in the effort to transition because it's so much effort oh yeah no I 100% agree there like I I think we all could do without the absolute battles that we have to go through be it and money we have to spend and things like that be it legal transition or or even you know our health care and you know people don't even just wait yeah and people like forget about the cost of there's a cost to social transition that people never really talk about like you know i found i had to start getting new clothes um you know things like that i i would have kind of flip-flopped between before i transitioned kind of i was always kind of branded that tomboy but i would wear you know dresses on nights out and things Mm -hmm. like that but no one talks about the cost of having to you know if you if you are changing your outward opinion opinion appearance in in some way that there's a cost to that too is it is it bad for me to say that i feel like i don't have like a normal human understanding of what how much money i'm meant to spend on things like um clothes because i feel like i i never have as much money as i'd love to spend on clothes but i also grew up being like taught to be very frugal and good at money oh i'd be the exact but also like like because when you start trying like transition trying to figure out what clothes you like what clothes look good on your body because you like you were raised ever to wear a certain gender clothes and then like well actually i don't know is it the same for like trans men because like men's clothes come in like three sizes oh <laughs> trying to figure out like how i translated like a size 14 into men's sizes was just so difficult for me i was like how do i translate like women's size clothing to men's size clothing it's like i that that took ages but i find i found for myself that when i first came out and you know i was socially transitioning and i remember wearing like i don't know the most dad clothes you can ever think about like you know like a v-neck jumper with a shirt with a like a, a stripy shirt underneath and and jeans and brogues i i remember just like dressing so like 
what I thought, like a man, like like the rugger bugger standing outside, like the pub and Donny Brook, uh, before a match kind of thing, and I felt like I had to butch it up just so much because obviously at that point I wasn't on hormones. I was like, I felt like I. I, well, I did still look feminine. So I was like, I've got to wear the butchers clothes ever so that people don't make a mistake. And the funny thing that I found is that as, and I remember even my body language, I, it was real rigid. It was real kind of stereotypical, um, hard man kind of body language. And I found the more, the more I changed on HRT, the more I started caring less about looking like, super manly or and, I, and as my friends have pointed out that as time has gone on and the longer I've been on hormones I've gotten much more camp in my body language and my behavior I'm letting myself be that little bit more like I am a gay man but I remember you know before kind of passing that little bit more I was like so scared of you know looking in any way feminine in case people you know, mistook, mistook me for a girl. So I was, so now I find the clothes that I'm buying, I know I'm sitting here wearing just a like white t-shirt and black hoodie, but <laughs> the clothes that I'm buying are getting more and more like, I don't care if it looks feminine. I'm looking in the girl section for jeans because I like them better. But uh, years ago, I wouldn't. And I think like, I think style can change with, you know, how far into your transition that you are often. Yeah, I mean, I, I my experience in that were like totally the opposite though, because I I had this big fear of overdressing as femme, and like kind of out right. myself that way. Like I I maybe that's very much kind of a a lot of turf propaganda, I guess, where like you know trans women think being a woman is just dressing up and you know kind of take taking things to eleven where it's like. A yeah. drag queen. I, yeah, that's my problem, I think, because I kind of didn't want to appear as if I was a drag queen, right? And that, that's kind of my fear, because, and I, like, yeah. that's not like there's anything wrong with drag queens, it's just that's not how I wanted to present. So so I, I started presenting when mm-hmm. I started transitioning. Yeah. And maybe because I wasn't really sure if I really wanted to transition at the time, I was still kind of questioning. I, um, I started wearing like V-neck shirts. Mm. Uh, skinny jeans and necklaces. Um, so it was kind of like I, I feel like it was it was kind of femme. It was kind of androgynous. Sorry, yeah, it was very androgynous. Yeah, no, I get that. So when when people start, so and this was really good for me, I think, at the time, because occasionally I would get recognized as a girl, and then like my heart would skip, and I'd be like, yes, and uh, but it was it was like it had that level of you know, around family, it was like, no, I just, you know, this is what's fashionable among my friends. And and it's it's still all from the men's yeah, section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up with the times, guys. Yeah, so it's still all from the men's section. So I could kind of like, you know, and it was kind of still within my comfort zone at the time. Yeah. And then like, it was slowly like, I started kind of wearing girly jumpers and then kind of started wearing, you know, you know, getting like a little bit more daring, like I'm proud of getting a skirt or like whatever when I was with my queer friends. And now I'm like heels every day, skirts every day. <laughs> yeah. Hate wearing trousers. <laughs> and uh I don't know. Sorry. Isn't it isn't it funny how like 
different, even clothes can be so important and, and how we can even notice patterns in ourselves when it comes to clothes and being trans. I like, and at the moment I look at it, there's a particular friend of mine and he's fabulous and he wears like the most fabulous jewelry and brooches and, you know, fur, fake fur coats and things like that. And I'm like, I want to dress like that. So I am like, totally like building myself up to that at the moment I think I yeah I know it like and I kind of just as I'll say when I was talking about I didn't want to present overly femme uh no 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 problems the people who are comfortable with doing that that just wasn't for what was right for me at the time okay is that okay to say like like it's just taught me my experience but um I, I love I love that idea as well of, like real jewelry because like that's a look but it's like not an everyday look for me, but it would be like a fun thing to kind of. I I don't. Yeah. I I always like say things like this, but it's all about artistic expression and an individual expression, and that's what clothes really are at the end of the day. And I don't know. It's about yeah. It's, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I guess I just wish we could like make it so that people felt confident to wear what they wanted whenever they wanted, and uh, you know, isn't there that place in Japan? where people just like dress like crazy okay well i cannot relate to that to be honest i literally cry when i buy clothes because i'm like ew i'm a whale of a person no so that is my contribution <laughs> which sounds quite sad when you listen to you to talk to me to just be like um i'm a whale thank you but yeah i don't know i just well if this makes you feel any better jules i was um once shopping with my sister and I went in to try on a pair of jeans and when I put them on, I buttoned them up. I went to turn around to look in the mirror and I burst them as in, I mean, the trousers fully like the zip on the front burst open, the back burst open. And I was like panicking in the changing rooms because I was like, what am I going to do? I can't, I'll have to pay for these. And I was like, what am I going to tell my sister? And and so my sister was standing outside the dressing room and I said come in come in here come in here and she's like what and I said get get just get in and she came in and I showed her and she when I say she broke her shit laughing in the dressing room the two of us did um she said no look just tell them when you walk out tell them you're taking them that that you're gonna buy them and then we'll just put them back on the rack and I was like no we can't do that and she was like well do you want to go and pay for these and explain why they've just burst open and I said no I don't so we ended up just putting them back on the rack um and then there was the time when I was having my debs um I was looking for a dress for my debs and my mum was in the dressing room with me zipping up the back of it and she did and she's like oh that's lovely I was like oh, I don't really like it and then um we couldn't get the dress off me I was too big whatever happened like we couldn't oh pull God. the zip back down and there was all this panic because this was like a three or four hundred euro dress and you know the sales assistant standing outside waiting to see me walk out in it um now eventually my mum got it off but there was a lot of tugging and panic and trying to pretend we weren't panicking um so yeah i've had a few dressing room incidents in my time i know i think i mostly just end up looking like i'm crying even if i didn't cry i just got it there you bad and i'm like oh my god this is disaster but yes i need to be a i know with covid i'm not one of those people who's like now is my time to shine i'm like i'm just gonna read books and like 
become a hobbit almost i've had all these wonderful plans for like lockdown like all these really great ideas that i'm gonna get involved in this type of craft and that kind of craft and i'm gonna paint this picture and do this puzzle i've ordered like six different types of craft kits and they are all still under my bed unopened and what we're like over a year in now i know i keep meaning to learn how to sew because there's some reason when other have some pants i don't know maybe like my thighs are too fat they end up like ripping on them things and then I don't often get new enough pants so if you like accidentally take a look at my butt you might see some like pie and I'm fine with that but my parents are like that's not great and I'm like okay <laughs> it's like okay that might have been an overshare but it's okay at this point that sounds like a feature <laughs> I know still it's embarrassing that's like a feature like like okay. tick ties Jill's tick ties so, yeah. save lives that is my contribution to the clothes and when I think Lila said it's Shinjuku, maybe the street, just to clarify for people, if you cared. I think you're right. Well, ha Harajuku, was it you said? Yeah, no, I think that's the style. It should be like a beautiful oh, Harajuku, the style. I don't know. No, it's like. But don't like. I just want to say, like, don't trust me on that. Sorry. <laughs> I learned yesterday that there's a street in Japan that has the most gay bars on it in the world. Like, how many would that be? Like, five? No, there was, like, hundreds <gasps> oh. on the one street in Japan. And I was like, Japan of all places, like, to have, like, the most gay bars on one street in the entire world. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What, I would have expected that to be, like, San Francisco or somewhere like that. Yeah. So Japanese, like, buildings are very tall. And, like, each floor will be, like, its own, like, restaurant. So, like, if you go, like, by a Japanese building, and this is from first-hand, not first-hand. Uh, Second-hand. People who have been to Japan who have told me. So if you go past, like, a building of, like, restaurants, it'll be, like, 50 restaurants all stacked up on top of each other. But they're very, like, narrow buildings. So, like, and, and like, it'll be, like, one street that's just dedicated to one kind of thing. And they're usually uh, owned by, like, small businesses. Um, so I think oh, yeah, that might so be like maybe why it could be yeah, a street that has like five gay bars in one building, and the next oh, street yeah. has like eight gay bars in one yeah. building. Well, more like thirty gay bars, like and Japan has such a, like a like interesting like history of like infrastructure because they didn't have like much iron on the island, and they're an island, so they don't have like a lot of um transportation. Like historically, there was that whole period where like they suddenly advanced like. 300 years technology worked in like the span of like two decades like i don't know japan is really interesting can we not have a street with 300 gay bars in ireland is that not possible can that be put on the next government program i well i mean why isn't it like that's all question discrimination the only thing i would say is like we actually had this talk last week there isn't a lot of wheelchair accessibility so it would have to be like a really long street with no stairs that is like i never like i obviously knew that dublin was a really inaccessible city for you know anyone with physical disabilities who might use mobility devices wheelchair users things like that i've always known that dublin is quite inaccessible i never quite knew how inaccessible it was until i tried to find somewhere for myself and my friend who was a wheelchair user to have a fucking glass of wine that was relatively queer friendly and i was like racking my brain going really we're, we were actually in the middle of the city center 
now obviously this before COVID, and I was trying to think, and I was like, Street 66, and I was like, no, there is a step there, though. And no. then I was like, both sides. George isn't open yet, and I was just like, there's n- nowhere. And, like, I kept thinking, and I was like, Panty Bar is accessible, but it doesn't open till like, I, we were going around at, like, half two after we did some filming event. And so Panty Bar wasn't open, and it is accessible, and so is Penny Lane, which wasn't open at the time. But I was just going, it made me realise just how inaccessible Dublin is, and especially our queer venues. Like, we only have two accessible queer venues in the whole of Dublin. And then, like, the Airhouse as well. There's and neither of them are on a we of three. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's a lie. Penny Lane, Panty Bar, and George are all accessible. Oh, yeah, it's Penny Lane, a gay bar. I feel like it's, yeah, I guess it is, but it's just a bit like it's not as gay as Panty Bar. I was gonna say all about the George. I don't think it's like accessible with a capital A, it's like a lower K because that doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, I interrupted you. Sorry. We definitely need more queer spaces in general. And I'd I'd love to see like, and it's something I've always thought about doing, but you know, you never get around to it, you never have time to do it. But like, you know, obviously there used to be like specific trans spaces years ago, like the Gemini Club, things like that. I'd love to like a specific trans night, maybe once every two months or something, you know, that well obviously it's not like you can't get in if you're not trans but like aimed at the trans community will be so good just get our community together yeah having fun because like a lot of trans people don't feel welcomed in you know the different you know queer spaces that we do have in dublin specifically i'd love to have like just a specific night like a trans night once every couple of months to get us together you know where people can feel comfortable where where they are and with the people they're with but i don't know will pubs ever open again do, do you remember pubs do you remember nights out <laughs> yeah that is something i feel sometimes if oh. i'm like joining a group of trans people i'm like oh girl i don't exactly pass as a trans woman and i don't want to like not bring their rep down but just be like the flower that's like mostly a weed in front of like pretty people I don't know what I'm saying today, but it's just a lot of nonsense. But you just call yourself a weed. <laughs> well, you know what, girl. There's... Well, weeds can turn into flowers, or they are like <laughs> some form of flower. And a lot of people, a lot oh, of people oh. love weed. I didn't mean the smoke, but like, okay, that's what I'll go for. I'm her. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people love weed. I love that. Um, but they do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think we do. We do need more spaces for the community and not even necessarily pubs or clubs i mean cafes or um social clubs you know things like that i used to live in hoth and i i always thought like i live so far from the city i hated i'm so isolated out here and you know then i moved into the city a few years ago and i've realized that if i want to get a bus back out to hoth to my parents it's only like 35 40 minutes and the whole time I lived there, I thought I was like so isolated out in Hoth. And then I'm like, you know, yeah. Now I know people from all corners of the country who live in like, you know, the most rural part of Kerry. And I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was isolated in Hoth 30, like 
30 minutes from the city center in Dublin. Like, I, I, I kind of, so I feel a bit privileged because my train, my last train is, I think it's midnight. Or no, sorry, it's at 10 past 11 or something. And I can get like back in the door before midnight. So um, I can stay pretty late in Dublin. But I still like get upset because I still have to leave everywhere before everyone else. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's it's just like I, I if I live in Dublin I could stay out to like have a real proper like all night party with my friends. But instead I have to go home at eleven, like an old person. But in reality, like if I lived somewhere like even a little bit more distant, I'd probably have to go like home at like, you know, eight or something. I'm just saying the oh, infrastructure yeah, that, in this country. That is the one thing from since moving from house to closer to the city, I think I have saved thousands in taxi fares home at four in the morning. Yeah. Like, owing from, like, Georgia Street to Hoth was always, like, 35, 40 euro in a taxi. But, like, going to where I currently live is, like, a tenner. And I would say I've saved thousands on nights out, you know, falling into a taxi and falling back out of it just five minutes later instead of, like, 30 minutes later and, like, 35 euro later. (laughs) Okay, now is a great time for Alicia to hear about Noah's plans, because she'd really like to know. <laughs> oh my god, my plans. So, I know people can't see me, but I'm smiling because I love talking about my plans. I've become obsessed. So, everyone has the, like, I don't know, maybe not everyone, but lots of people have, like, taken up new hobbies during this lockdown. Lots of people have, I don't know, started doing new things. I've started... I'm not even going to say collecting. I've started hoarding plants. So it started when I moved into this current apartment and my mum bought me like these three little succulents that she had bought in Ikea. And I was like, oh, they're nice. I'll put them on the windowsill. But it looks like I could put more. So it went from having three plants in, I think it was October, September, October. And now I've got, I counted them the other day and I've got 21, 21. And I live in, and they're not like all little plants, like some of them are like up to my shoulder kind of height. And I find myself having to move things to move around my apartment, like move plants to move around my apartment. Like I live in a one bedroom apartment. It's a really small apartment. So like if if I'm getting into the bed from the left side, I have to move that plant that's sitting beside the bed there. And when I need to watch the telly, I have to move the plants to behind the telly because they all cover the front of the telly. So I'm actually considering moving because I need more room for my plants. Is that, that, and and like, that is honest to God truth. I'm considering moving because I need room for my plants. Do they have names? They don't, funny enough, but they have genders, which is weird. Like, if I'm talking about one plant, I don't know where it comes from, but I'm like, my peace lily, like, is definitely a she. And and that just, that came natural. I don't know why. My mon- monkey monstera is definitely a he. And I don't know why. They don't have names, but they have genders. A monkey monster. I don't even know what some of these plants are, but, like, how lovely for them. Well, monkey monsters are the really cool ones that have, you know, the natural holes in the leaves. They look like real Jurassic kind of yeah. plants. Like that's that's one of my newest ones now, and I'm absolutely in love with them. Mm. Oh, who doesn't love some horticulture? So you you kind of brought, like you brought your artwork, but you also brought your plants. <laughs> I should have brought a plant as my thing. 
I, I just tried to Google search Monkey Monster and I came with Monkey Monster. No, Monkey Master. <laughs> oh, I see. Did you have like that proper holes in them? Yeah. That's so weird. <gasps> oh, that's so pretty. Monkey Monster. I know you so listeners dark. can't see it, but oh. yeah, it's been interesting learning how to look after the different types of plants because they all need different things at different times, different temperatures and lights. And I think I got them so quickly that I didn't give myself time to learn about them as I got them. So now it's just total guesswork. I've lost two in the past few months. And it's probably my fault. But the peace lily is a total diva. She dies. And then 24 hours later, she's like fully standing up and alive. I love plants like that. They like die and come back to life. I'm like, oh. Y'all bitches are beautiful. Oh, she she does it every week. I call her Mariah because she's such a diva, but she does it every week. Oh, that one does have a name. Um, she does it all the time. She'll be dead, flopped over completely. And then within 12, 24 hours later, she's like standing up with her, her arms up and her flowers out all the time. All the time. So neat. She sounds gorgeous. <laughs> it's like me, like just having like a panic attack on Friday. And like, just I'm like, I'm so done with everything. And then come one day, I'm like, like a clown, just like, okay, here we go again. <laughs> oh, I think we're I'm, all kind I'm, of going through that weird wave. Are we? Am I, I'm, I'm not the only one, am I? It's like that weird COVID wave where you're like, one, one or two days, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is getting better. We're going to be fine, you know? And then yeah. you get like two days of doom where you're like, I don't want to get out of bed, don't want to talk to anybody. I, I've been ha- like having like that, like. Yeah. constantly I, and i've been talking to other people who've said the same it comes in like these waves and then it goes and then it comes and it goes i know i was definitely getting it this time last year and then it got a bit better during the summer and it's kind of back again it's like it's like, it's like stages of grief because you're like you get like all angry like what the hell are the government doing and then you're like we're going to be stuck in this forever like all depressed and then you're like bargaining like well i'm sure if we like we sit tight for this week you know we'll, we'll get it you know we'll get out before june and then it's just like acceptance where you're just like, okay, it's just whatever. Yeah. Just, I'll just stay at home and play video games. Well, I was, I think I spent a lot of this year being like r- really, really actually afraid of getting COVID. Like I didn't know how my body, like none of us know how our bodies react to it. But then I got COVID a few weeks ago. Um, right. And, oh, don't get me wrong. I was really sick. Um. And I got every bloody symptom you could possibly get. But like, I was fine. And it made me half think, I kind of wish I had gotten it like this time last year. So that I wasn't so scared all year. Yeah. Because it's like anticipation of death is worse than death itself. Yeah. But I didn't die. Um, No, well, that's just a saying, right? (laughs) No, I know what you mean. Okay. I was going to say, is that like a real saying? Or is that just something my stepdad said? (laughs) No, no, it is. It is a real thing. But no, I I do kind of wish I had gotten it like this time last year. So I wouldn't be number one, so nervous or not knowing what it would do to me. And then two, like it's proven that you've got like a level of immunity with the antibodies. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, you know, I'm just as good as vaccinated at the moment. Well, no, well, you can still get it again, though. That's, yeah. Isn't it? Actually, I don't know how that works. Yeah, they they say that you that the studies are kind of no, saying at the moment that you're most likely not going to get sick from COVID again within kind of six to eight months after having it. That, that's true. 
I feel, so I'm a bit worried because I was really sick this February because I hadn't had hormones in my body at all for like six months because my doctors messed them up. So, um, I'm like, well, for whatever reason, my body just didn't start producing testosterone again, which is fine. But without hormones, your body can't also, you know, synthesize vitamin D and your bone density and stuff. So, um, I just got like really like tired and drained and sick. Like, in such a like, I was just tired all the time. Like, it like, it felt like, like literally when you have a cold, but without the cold symptoms. So I, I feel a bit worried about getting COVID because my immune system was obviously shot then. I don't know how long it takes to kind of get back up in gear. Actually, it's so interesting you say that because when I had COVID and I wasn't well, there was one particular day that I just felt, I'd never felt worse. Like, and I can't explain it. It was just like I couldn't, there was zero energy, energy in me. I was like, I couldn't move off the bed. I was just so bad to the point where my GP was like I was on the phone to him and he was like I think I might have to send you to the hospital tonight like I'm I'm really considering that and I was like oh no just just give me one more night and I'll see how I am in the morning all this kind of stuff and I got off the phone to him and I realized I was I had missed my last Tito's I was eight days late and considering I take it every 14 days like that's very late and I'm also on an estrogen blocker and um, just because mm. my estrogen is mental and it like naturally just pings up and all this kind of mad stuff. So I'm on an estrogen blocker. I had no, te- I had missed my testosterone dose and I had COVID. So at the same time as having COVID, I had zero sex hormones in me at all. And I was like, that is probably why I was so sick for those couple of days, you know, because it was towards the end of my COVID too. So I called the GP back the next day and I was like, I just totally forgot to take my dose because I was COVID and sick and all that kind of stuff. And the estrogen blocker lasts three months. So he was like, ah, you have no hormones in your body yet. That would make you sick and not able to get out of your bed. And I was like, these are things that like cis people who get COVID don't have to think about. And yeah, COVID has been proven to lower natural testosterone. yeah that's true oh that's interesting um but definitely like because testosterone is very strong isn't it compared to like because i i don't know um the technicalities of being a trans guy and taking uh tea but um well most of the time most trans guys won't have to take a hormone blocker because testosterone is the dominant hormone it will overtake it will suppress your estrogen so most trans guys don't take blockers but i'm always that bloody small percent that something happens with (laughs) so i have to be on them because my estrogen decides it just wants to spike all the time for some reason so um yeah oh You've reminded me I have to take mine in the next few days. Actually, reminded me that I better put on my. I got I got a new bottle of estrogen, so I better uh bottle jar jug. I don't know how to say it, but um amulet vial. <laughs> oh my god, I loved that. <laughs> it was like an RPG where you like you get a magic necklace like you and it, like <laughs> feminization. Well, the the testosterone, the well, the sustenance one is like a really interesting little amulet. Like, where's the thing I had for that? it's like a little glass vial there and there's yeah. no like lid on it you have to pop the glass open 
at the top. It's really strange. Like the amount of times I've cut my thumb doing it because it's like a glass lid uh, that you just have to pop open. Yeah, uh, my contact lens. So I I buy colored co- or circle lenses, what they're called, which is like they they have a color to them. Really creepy. They they make my eyes look bigger. Mm-hmm. Shut up, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be rude to people who like colored contacts. Yeah, they they just they come in like a little jar like that with like a kind of a very like it's like tin foil but very very thick, so it's basically just like metal. And uh, is that right? Where like you have to like pop the lid off and like get an angle, and if you don't get it off properly, it's like a pain to kind of get off. Well, I don't know. Is it which the patch? Yeah, like for your the little vial that your, t- your testosterone comes in. Oh yeah, yeah, the top. Oh, it's. Mm. No, I don't know how, like, why are we still using these glass amulets that you have to pop glass open? What? Another thing I'm always afraid of is, like, a little shard of glass going into it. Because the needle that you use to draw up is, like, this, is, is like, a really big needle. So I'm, like, always so scared, like, a mm-hmm. teeny tiny shard of glass has gone into the amulet when I've popped it open. And that I might be injecting, like, teeny tiny bits of glass into me. <laughs> that, that's a nice body heart. Also... Just why I think of it. It's like a trans horror movie. I, I I was trying to check up that that time in Japan when they had the big right. like revolution of like I guess their equivalent of the industrial revolution was the Meiji period. So that's just just so I seem a bit more cultured than I actually am. That's uh Have any of us ever been to Japan? No. <laughs> no. Only like so the three of us have sat here talking. The three of us have. Sat- talking about Japan for ages and none of us have ever been. But I feel like I've been to Asia. In uh, No, I've been to Africa, America, all over Europe, but I've never been to Japan or Asia. I've been to China. I've been to Thailand. I've been to Vietnam. Come on. Singapore. They're the... Oh, where else have I been? I've been somewhere in Hong Kong. Um, they're the Asian countries that I've been to. Wait, is Hong Kong a different country from China? That's a bone of contention. No, it Hong is, Kong is China. Or, it's not. Is, is, Hong is Kong, the Hong Kong locals will, will kill you for saying that. Yeah. Hong Kong is totally different. So I've been to Hong Kong and China loads of times because my dad's company is based out of there. So we've, we've been traveling to yeah. Hong Kong and China all our lives. And <clears throat> they're like, so different the two places are like so different even though you just cross the border there's like the border that you just go from hong kong to china but china tends to be that little bit more westernized than or sorry hong kong is more westernized than china is most people in hong kong will speak english they all learn english at school um Mm. The place there's very low crime rates in in Hong Kong as well, um, and the, and it's kind of more, I don't know, wealthy or something. And then you go over the border to China, and it's totally different. The people are totally different. Very little English. Um, it's not nearly as westernized. Uh, like it's totally different. It's, it's really crazy to see. Even the fashion is different from one side of the border to the other. Like, I love Hong Kong. Though. I feel like it's it's something you'd have to like go there and see because, like, like just to get the real impact of like difference. Yeah, I love Hong Kong though. People are so cool. Actually, the people in Vietnam are some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. 
it's got like beautiful like caves and cliffs and things like that as well um but the people in vietnam are some of the nicest people i've ever met in my life like they do anything for you at all like if you asked or needed anything they like they're just such kind people um but i remember it was really funny we were in the hotel in vietnam and uh we wanted milk for our tea in the room and kind of over there they don't put milk and tea really so we ordered milk, oh, yeah. fresh milk up to the room and they came up with uh, <laughs> a dish of butter, not milk. So, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they came up with a dish of butter and then I felt too bad to tell them that, that they were wrong, <laughs> that, it, that that's butter and what we wanted was milk. Um, so we just took the butter in and said thank you and drank our tea black. So <laughs> That's funny. I, I Yeah, I've definitely heard like that's a thing in and well, Japan as well. It, it's similar that they don't drink milk tea. I think. Well, I think they they do have it, but not like regularly. They're more into like green tea. And yeah. But um. And then I've been a bit further down. I used to live in Australia for two years, and then I've been to New Zealand many a times. A lot of my mum's side of the family is from New Zealand, so um, we go there quite a lot. Uh, go to Australia quite a That's- lot. Really great. So your mom, your mom's from New Zealand. Your dad has a company based in China or Hong Kong. Wait, was it China or Hong Kong? Both. His work is based both in Hong Kong and China. And speaking of Hong Kong, um, it's the only kind of country or word you can say without moving your lips, tongue, or mouth. Just open your mouth and you can go Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Oh my God, you're right. Hong Kong. I know. Of course, I'm right. I'm always right. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Actually, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> we're we're all sitting we're all sitting here now saying Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Yeah, oh I know that's exactly what went through my head. I was like, everyone home is going to try this. As soon as I get off this call, I'm going to call my dad and tell him that because he has been going to Hong. Like my dad's sixty two next week, sixty three next week, two oh sixty two, sixty three. Anyway, he's been going there since he was like nineteen. So I bet he's never heard that. He probably has actually. And uh, do you know we just uh we got a message. Lilith um has been to Tokyo. So travel it, travel's interesting. I mean I love how places that are like right beside each other can just be so totally diverse. Like I've been to Morocco a few times, which is only forty minutes on this little boat from the south of Spain. And it's like going from you know, Tarifa in Spain over to Tangier, Morocco is like, boom. You know, I love how places can be so close together and so diverse. Like, it's like saying, I always love the fact that I'd be on holidays in Spain and I'd be like, oh, I'm just popping over to Africa. Like, it's so strange to think, isn't it? Yeah. At that, like, little entrance to the Mediterranean, you can almost just throw a rock, like, across over to Marco. Oh, you can see it. Yeah. You can see it. If you stand in Tarifa or Gibraltar, you can see um, North Africa, which is mental because we all, when we think Africa, we're all thinking like South Africa, you know, West Africa. We're thinking like, oh, it's God, it's miles from Ireland. But like, it's only like a jump over the... Do we... To, from Spain. Do we really think of Africa as like the Mediterranean parts of Africa is Africa. Do you know what I mean? Like like kind of Egypt kind of area and Tunisia. Well, I guess Tunisia is a bit more. I guess when you say Africa, like 
what pops into your heads? What pops into my heads would be the likes of um, Namibia or uh, Zambia or Uganda, yeah. places like that. For some reason, Northern Africa never pops into my head when I think of the African continent for some reason. There's a lot of geography. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've got a really interesting fact. And I wonder if any of you know the answer to this question. Where was David Norris born? Like Zimbabwe? I don't know. The Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh. Wait, so his parents were like... I, I can't remember exactly, but I think he told me this. He I think it was something to do with... His dad was something to do with the army, maybe, and his mum might have been a nurse with them or something. Oh my god, I need to know this now. He told me, but it, they met there or something. It, it was really interesting though when I first figured it out because, like, you think of David Norris, and when someone says, "Where's David Norris from?" you think like the UK or something or Ireland. Yeah, I thought he was English for a while. <laughs> I think it's just he's got that real kind of, you know, that like. Anglo-Irish kind of yeah, similar to Michael D. Oh my God, I could listen to Michael D. talk forever. I love that little man. Oh. He just fills me with joy. I feel like he should be like a TV presenter or something. You know what I mean? Well, girl, he's our president, and he lives long enough. The way they like give out presenting jobs in Ireland, they'll like pick him. That's true. I and the Kenny and his trains. Oh God, trains. I've just I've just looked that up. And he is, it was, okay, I don't, I, think, I don't think his mum was a nurse, though, but his dad was in the army. He was an yeah. engineer. Oh, so like a military engineer? Yeah, so. I just... oh, I thought it'd be like a diplomat son or something. <laughs> I, I was doing some, uh, I don't know, research in Africa. I, well, I don't know if it's research, but I just kind of coincidence. But have you ever heard of the Eye of the Sahara? The Eye of the Sahara. I'm assuming that is somewhere in the Sahara Desert, though. It is. The, I'm going to take a chance on, on that suggestion. I saw the movie with Matthew McConaughey. To be fair, the Sahara Desert is very big, so that doesn't narrow it down much. Right. But, um, because have you ever seen, like, it's, like, literally the length of, like, the widest part of Africa, and nearly as thick, or nearly as long. But, um, it's this 40-kilometer, uh, geological formation I, I guess it's like a dome oh completely made out of stone it's like this brilliant blue you can see it from space it's really cool it's like a natural wonder of the world and it's just like i don't know it's really cool but it's like this kind of whirlpool look but it would take uh, it i would guess take, concentric circle it would take quite a uh a journey to go and see it i would imagine here's one yeah it's so oh it's, it's in western sahara and um, to get there, you need, like, official permission to enter the country. I, I don't know, is it? I think it is actually a country just called Western Sahara. And then it's, like, you know, a few hours journey through the desert. And, like, you know, it's it's pretty impractical to get there. Mm. But it's cool. Can you name... Like just looking at pictures of it. Can you name the widest avenue in Europe? Isn't that our, our street? What's it called? O'Connell Street? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's the second widest in the world. From one side to the other, it's the widest. I believe Phoenix Park is the second largest park inside the country, or it's an urban area. Like, it's a second to Central Park. I thought it was the largest park in Europe. Yeah, but it's second to Central Park. Oh. Like, outside of Europe. Or it might be third. I'm not sure. 
Look at Ireland up here breaking all these records. Yeah. We also have the most bullshit. <laughs> okay, sorry. That is not how we can end it. We are getting near that natural conclusion at an hour. I know. I, I, I'm look. I'm really enjoying this conversation about like our world and all the different G- cultures. Yes. And- we're going to start a trans like excursion travel thing. So like if you want to come along. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. A trans, a trans tourist yeah. um, trans- business. What is it? What, what's, what do you call oh. those things? Why, why can't I think of the word for the companies that sell holidays? Why, why isn't it coming into my head? A travel agent. Oh my God. Yes. What did that? We, we, we could become a trans travel agent. Yeah. Well, but we ended with an animal fact that I learned the other day. Okay, yeah, thank you. I learned this animal fact the other day that spiders, and I know we spoke that nothing was off limits before we went on here, so, but spiders reproduce by fisting. <gasps> oh, wait, so, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So they put their leg inside the genital of whatever the, the female spider, and that's how they their sperm comes out the end of their leg. So then they pull it out really quick and run away. So the female spider doesn't uh, eat them. Is that true? So f- spiders reproduce by fisting. I don't know. Is that true? That that seems a bit... No, and I don't again, believe insects that. are so weird. I learned it last night. I learned it last night. No um, one said it is. A friend of mine sends, sends me an animal fact every second week <laughs> at a meeting that we attend. And that was it. Yeah, so... If you would like to follow us online. <laughs> yeah, if you want to follow our trans travel agents, uh, check us out at thesterlings.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter at the Sterlings and a Facebook, Sterlings Collective. And what else do we have? I think that's it, an Instagram, but like we don't really, well, I don't use that. So yeah, so the Instagram, Sterlings. <laughs> no, would you like to say anything to just be like, plug yourself or Twitter? I don't know. Oh, um, if anyone wants to catch me on Twitter, I'm Noah underscore Halpin. Um, so that's at N-O-A-H underscore H-A-L-P-I-N. And I think on Instagram, I'm just Noah Halpin. Very simple. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for having me.